This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Kelly, when I saw these uh, photos uh, of about a week ago, I uh, I really felt a, a sort of chill in my heart because there's some really strong similarities between them, and they were just uh, uh, in the other in another part of the garage. Uh, very unusual, and and the, the real thing for me that the thing that really struck me was how how the the male sculpture's legs were crossed, and so was Barry's. That is Kevin Donovan of the Toronto Star, who is uh, revealing yet more um, troubling developments in the Barry and Honey Sherman case, and that is that the positioning of their bodies. He obtained photograph and saw that the positioning of their bodies were eerily similar to uh, two life sized human-shaped art sculptures that were in the basement of the Sherman home near to where the bodies were found. And they're creepy. I mean, if you see them, they're like these metal people sitting on this desk-type thing. And they're creepy. And the couple, as you'll recall, were found in a seated position, and both Barry Sherman and the male art figure. So Barry Sherman's body was said to look like the male art figure, the male metal piece of art with one leg crossed over the other so it looked like it was staged according to donovan he also reveals that a window and door were unlocked which apparently was not unusual for the shermans but also where barry's gloves and papers were found and also a cell phone from honey which she never used that room so a lot of people had said you know maybe she was trying to run but this is what else kevin knows I've been able to pinpoint uh, from interviewing people who were at the scene where Barry was most likely attacked, and that is just outside of his underground garage in a hallway on the way to the pool. And that's, I can, I'm pretty sure about that because that's where some papers of his that he had brought home from the office and his gloves were seated on the floor. Let's bring in Dave Perry, our global news radio crime expert, also CEO of Investigative Solutions Network. Hello there, Dave. Hello, Alex. How are you today? Oh, you know, it's been one of those days where we, I mean, every story we're touching is enormous. But this one is one of those kind of, uh, this one sticks with people because we still don't have an arrest yet. And I'm looking at this. This is only information that Kevin Donovan, he's not a police officer. This is information according to him that he has seen. So we don't have a way to authenticate it through the Toronto Police because they're not saying anything. But the fact that, you know, a suggestion that Barry Sherman's body could possibly have been posed, stage, that's the kind of thing that you see generally in a sex crime, like to degrade the person. So what does that tell you about this situation? That's a great question. It, it, it actually, without some kind of evidence to support that that's in fact what's, what's happened, is it's pure speculation at this point. It doesn't tell me anything. You know, the only way they'll ever get to know whether what Kevin Donovan is describing has anything to do with this crime scene is if and when they make an arrest and somebody says to them, by the way, I did it. Here's how I did it, why I did it. And by the way, I did this real crazy thing to stage the bodies to look like these two statues that were found in the house. But, you know, this is pure speculation at this point. No evidence to drive you there whatsoever. And I've seen things in homicide scenes and other violent crime scenes that would make you think certain things, but until you prove them to be so, it's you, we've got to be very careful about what we do with the information. Right. And the police have said that they have a working theory on this case. They have not said what that is. 
But how much, you know, does this complicate or, or um, you know, discredit the police work? I mean, they, they've had their challenges. Obviously, they had ruled this thing a, um, you know, a suicide, a murder-suicide or suicide. And so they say they now have a working theory. But how much does this kind of information coming out complicate things? Well, it can contaminate a case. It, it depends. You know, again, if there's an arrest made and suddenly there's a trial, I mean, a good defense team is going to go after everything that's out there in the public venue, and they're going to use information like this to perhaps help try and build a defense or or to argue some certain piece of evidence. So it can be a little bit troublesome. The best way for an investigation to go, and especially something so serious as a double murder, is to allow the police to do their job and to do it as uncontaminated as possible. And uh, if they've got a working theory, which I hear they have, I don't know what that working theory is, then let them continue to work towards, uh, you know, proving that theory to be accurate or or not. And of course, we always have to consider, like in every case, this case potentially could go unsolved. I'm not saying that it will. It's actually the kind of case where most of us sort of look at this and think this is a very solvable case. Mm -hmm. But there could be complexities that we're just not aware of. And sometimes it's just a complete lack of forensic evidence, because I've been in crime scenes where one would think you would get all kinds of forensics out of it, and you do a full investigation, you walk out of there with nothing, you've got no fingerprints, no DNA, no footwear impressions, you've got just nothing that you can, you know, link a suspect to the case on. So this one will be really interesting to see where it goes from here. Um, as far as what he's bringing to the table, I find this um, quite creative and quite interesting. And I'll tell you this, if I was at that scene and I saw what Kevin Donovan described and I did see those photographs. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't dismiss it, but I certainly wouldn't put any weight to it unless and until I could prove that I should. Right. And I don't you, know if that makes sense to you. Yeah, it does. I mean, look, when we had the uh, Bruce MacArthur case, we knew that there was evidence and pictures that he would stage his victims and that was to degrade them or to keep them as a trophy. Um, yes. And so if, in fact, there are images to suggest or, or the bodies were propped up, that would either be a sign of degrading the Shermans, you know, almost in retribution. I mean, what would that speak to? Well, I mean, if again, if you could ever prove that that was so, it, it would make it very personal, mm -hmm. right? But again, that's total speculation. I, I Like everybody in the public, I don't have any evidence to speak to or any suggestion that it was a stranger or somebody connected. You know, we all look at cases in general. This one speaks of, you know, somebody that was known to the family. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, how could this they... not be personal? I mean, given that they were, you know, they were propped up. They were they were they were staged at least sitting together. I mean, how could that not be personal? It certainly has the earmark of being personal and and being very close, right? So, I know that's uh, that's something that, of course, the police are are staying on point on and 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 really trying to de determine who within the, the circle of friends and family potentially may have been involved, but mm -hmm. that's still a real big unknown. Um, you know, I, I find it, uh, it interesting. I guess that's the best way to put it. What I saw, and I did see the picture uh, of the statues they're that creepy. he's referring to. Yeah, they're weird. They're creepy. And, you know, let's just say that they are connected. That would put a whole different twist on, you know, the, the thinking of the individual or individuals that, that, did the crime that committed these murders mm -hmm. but on the other hand what if it's not what what if it's just it just happens to be it, it's mm -hmm. like so many times 
Alex, where I've done cases and I have psychics calling in, so you're going to find the body near 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 some water. Well, when you look at our planet, and especially in Ontario and the, the makeup of water we have here, that's a pretty good guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, we just want to make sure that we stay very evidence-based, and and I'd like to just try and keep an open mind in this case, and uh, hopefully the police will get that break that will lead them to an arrest, and then we're all going to know whether any of this makes sense at all or if it's just something that is just so strange and, and unusual and actually had nothing to do with the homicide. Right, and certainly would give the family at least a little bit of um, of closure. But, you know, we knew that the real estate agent had been in the house because she was the one that discovered the bodies. But Donovan also reports that there was a cleaning lady in the house when the police had arrived on the scene. So, you know, while they're on scene, and shortly after, it was very kind of quick that they would come out and say, well, this is a suicide, nothing to see here, We're, you know. But she was upstairs cleaning. And so, yeah. how? I mean... <laughs> When you get a scene like that, Dave, um, you know, wouldn't it be imperative to say, can you step aside, stop vacuuming, stop doing what you're, because you're contaminating a scene, no? Absolutely. That's the first thing that should have happened. The, the scene should have been completely shut down. Anybody that was in the house should have been removed, isolated, interviewed, you know, and so on. And so there seems to be some things that either did or didn't happen in this case that that it makes us all wonder exactly what were the police thinking when they first went there. But sometimes you you... You go in and you go with what you see and and your, what your experience tells you. And if somebody made the wrong call and, and said this looks like a, you know a suicide or a murder suicide or a double suicide, then that that's something that that, that has to be answered to at the right time. But uh, you know one of the things I've noticed and it's not unique to uh, Toronto, Canada. It's it's a phenomenon that goes across you know borders where if there's a crime in a house. Mm-hmm. Quite often, the initial responding officers relax a little too soon. It's just a mistake that they make. They think, well, you know, I'll give you a good example. Some of the cases where we've heard of, you know, children disappearing from a home. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the, the, the entire police uh, server shows up and they're there en masse and they're standing right in the crime scene. Because if the child is missing, if they're missing from that home, that entire home is a crime scene. And it, it's not till sometime later where people start to go, well, this child's not returning. This is unusual. Mm-hmm. We may have a problem, and suddenly we're working backwards, going, get all these people in the house. Let's retake this crime scene. And, and that can be very problematic. So why wouldn't that have been correct? I mean, you know that as a homicide cop. I mean, don't guys like you say, hey, guys, like, we've got to change this practice. As soon as you hear of a, a reported of a, of a you know, death on property or a child missing, don't go on the scene, stand back. Like, don't, isn't that kind of protocol? It is, and and when you've got something that's confirmed, uh, you know, I can tell you that most of the time the, the protocol is, is followed exactly. You know, we're, we are pretty good at doing this, and but there are mistakes made. There mm-hmm. are people that show up and make an assumption that could be wrong, and if it's wrong, your whole investigation starts to spiral out of control, and you can use, you can lose, you know, the potential to gather some really good forensic evidence, and and that likely happened in this case. But, um, you know, the, the the fact also remains that once you get control of that crime scene, even if there is some contamination, sh- there, you're still going after whatever you can find there. And it, this one, I think, when we all hear about it someday, and we will, I think it's going to be quite fascinating to to hear exactly what they found and, or more importantly, what they didn't find. I've been to cleaned up crime scenes. There's evidence of that. Yeah. You know, forensic officers will go in and they'll tell you, we've got a cleaned up uh, crime scene here. I've been in crime scenes where... I'm pretty sure that what I think happened has happened, but I'll bring in a behavioral science uh, group that will come in and have a look and give an opinion on whether they believe it's a real crime scene or a staged crime scene or a body's been moved or something, you know, that that would add to your investigation. And unfortunately, the Sherman case has uh, 
all the earmarks of all of those issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, until we get some disclosure in this, and that's not going to be anytime soon, we're, we're all going to be sitting and wondering. I think that's troubled everybody in the community. And, of course, it's troubled this family for quite some time. Yeah, to not get closure on this or to find out the information would be a, a real hard thing. Yeah. All right, Dave, thank you. I've got to let you go. But uh, interesting perspective from your experience. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure, anytime. That is uh, Dave Perry. He certainly knows his number of homicide scenes. And uh, Sunday, this Sunday, marks the anniversary of this. So two years this Sunday that this happened. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.